Warning, this podcast involves discussions of a spooky and graphic nature not suitable for children or the faint of heart. Strong language and mature content is present. Listener discretion is advised. You have been warned. Hey, Spooksters, and welcome back to another episode of Three Spooked Girls. My name is Tara, and as always, I'm joined with my lovely gal pal, Jessica. Hello. Oh, that was very sultry. Jesus. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't mean it. My voice is just a little low today because it's a little, like... I've been talking all day. Oh, and now you're talking more, so you know. Right. Here we go. I think that I think that the spooksters think that my voice is this low all the time, but this is what happens. Like I literally spend most of my day on a phone talking to people. And so at the beginning of the day, my ask Tara, my voice is like, Hi, how are you? And then at the end of the day, it's like, I fucking hate life. <laughs> it sounds right. like I've smoked twelve packs of cigarettes today and drank a lot of hard alcohol, but you know. But nah. It's just me. That's how it is. It's just Jessica. (laughs) I'm sorry. Well, hey, guys, and (laughs) welcome to a true crime week here on our podcast. I love true crime week. Yay, they're Jessica's favorites. And this week, our theme that we went with was true crime cases of serial killers local to us, (gasps) local to where we're living now. So if you're new here and you don't know where here is, I am up in Alaska and Jessica is down in California. Yes. Northern California, to be exact. Yes. So we have two cases for you guys. And before we jump in, we'll do our normal biz and drinks. So if you are new here or if you forgot, even though I tell you this or Jessica does every week. We have our handy little link tree thing in the show notes with all of our socials. We're on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, all of that good stuff. And we are on Patreon as well. So if you want to get bonus content, bloopers, videos, all of that amazing things, you can check us out there. We're on patreon.com slash three spooked girls. And we do a lot of bloopers. We're quite hilarious on our side. (laughs) What we cut out, you have no idea. It's freaking hilarious. Oh, Lord. Yes. We sound like very conversational and maybe not edited. But guess what? We're fucking edited. <laughs> we're we're like actual real people. Like, <laughs> we're not those mm-hmm. people who are like, and we're perfect. And take one. Go. <laughs> no, we're not. Yeah. We're not voice actors. I'm not that good. No, no. That'd be in- that'd be an interesting job. But no. True. I mean, if we're going for the, you know, 45 year old who smoked f- like 12 packs today and drank a lot of hard liquor. I got that role. Hey, that could work in a lot of smut novels. There is a market for this. Okay, you said smut (laughs) novel, and you know me, and I have ADD, and my brain just goes... My husband called me into our living room one day, like, super serious. He was like, Jessica, come here! And I, like, run in, like, our dog is dying. And he's like, you have to listen to this. And he hits play on his phone, and it's um, George Takai. He's reading Fifty Shades of Grey. Oh, my God. And so, like, all of a sudden, you just hear, oh, my... (laughs) I love Amazing. my husband. He like, that's the kind of shit that happens in our house. I'm like, mm. like <laughs> I run in like somebody's like, like forgetting that I don't have children. And I'm like, oh, my kid is dying. And then it's like, oh, no, it's just my <laughs> husband wanting to show me something and knows I'm not going to leave my chair. Otherwise. <laughs> <laughs> hey, whatevs, you know, right. all good. All good. Totally. All right. Well, 
what is our theme drink for this week? So we were talking about serial killers, and I just kept getting, because Thomas and I are doing keto right now, mm-hmm. the keto diet, so we're not having carbs. I kept thinking of, like, cereal. <laughs> like, I just want fucking cereal. <laughs> and one of my favorite cereals, which I don't eat that often because it's my favorite and I try to make it, like, a special thing, mm-hmm. is um, cinnamon French toast. Okay, yeah. Yeah. And so... A little known fact about me, which is not little known fact, a lot of people know this. I worked at Starbucks in college, and Tara very much profited from that life because she would just like roll up and be like, I want Starbucks. And I'd be like, here you go. And <laughs> Truth. <laughs> and she would get Starbucks. Like, that's just how it worked. <laughs> or she'd be like, are you coming to my house? Bring me this. I'd be like, I'm not fucking your personal Starbucks barista. And she'd be like, yes, you are. <laughs> You'd bring it. You love me. I do. So I bring it. So... Working there, you get really bored and you start talking to baristas who've worked there for years and they know all of like the secret menu drinks. Now, this is my favorite. It's the Cinnamon Toast Crunch Frappe or Frappuccino because we're not at McDonald's. It's Frappuccino. Mm. And it is to do the grande size because that's what I do. It is the cream base. So it's no coffee. So if you don't drink caffeine, like my husband loves it. He doesn't drink caffeine. So it's the cream base. It is two pumps of cinnamon dolce and i believe one pump of vanilla and then you do the cinnamon dolce on top it straight tastes like cinnamon toast crunch in a bowl of milk ask tara she can verify for me fuck yes it is the most delicious thing ever and i always feel like so self-conscious to get it so i never do anymore but (laughs) it is probably my favorite drink at starbucks and i'm the biggest coffee person so go try it go fucking try it (laughs) And there is another one that tastes like Fruity Pebbles. I can't remember the recipe for that, so you have to ask someone. But if you if you do, if you want to try it, go try it. I was so excited on the way home. I understand because the judgment from the barista was like, you don't want that coffee? I'm like, mm-hmm. and it helped that I was buying it at night. And I was like, well, it's almost nighttime. Like, <laughs> I can't have coffee. I can't have espresso. But um, <laughs> it's delicious. And a lot. I've actually opened a lot of baristas' eyes open to this because when you order it, and I used to do the same thing. You just make a little extra and then wait till they leave and try it. Mm-hmm. So it's like, ooh. So you baristas out there, go make this right now. It's fucking delicious. And if you know other ones, drop them in our like mm-hmm. socials. Like, what's your favorite drink? We want to know. I love to know things. Hell yeah. I'll have to hit up my sister because, uh, you know, <gasps> I'm, sure, I'm sure she's got some. She's a little scaredy cat like you, so she's not listening right now, but I will text her and ask her. <laughs> you could tell her just to listen to the intro. Yes. Like, just listen to what Jessica said. And now I've been rude and taken up all this time, so what are you drinking? Well, since I have started trying boxed wines now, I got another one, Ooh. but it's not barefoot. Mm. Uh, I think it's popular because I feel like I've seen people have it at like social gatherings and whatnot. Oh, that's good. It's called Black Box. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So I got their Merlot since I'm obsessed with Merlot right now. And it is so fucking delicious. And I've heard good things. Yes, it's super good. And if you're like a cheese fan, I know Jessica is because um, <laughs> we both love That's cheese. The, the most amazing thing about keto is you can have so much <laughs> cheese on it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm dead. <laughs> <laughs> sorry when my husband was like i want to do this diet it's the keto diet and i looked it up and the first thing that the, the blogger wrote was you get to eat cheese i was like i didn't list read anything else i was like i'm yeah, in I'm good i'm good but anyway yes 
I like to have this with some brie cheese and the like pretzel crisps, the little cracker. I know you can't have those right now, but you know. You know what I'm talking about? Little cracker things that look like pretzels? I know. Matt bought a Costco size bag the other day. I was like, what are you doing? (gasps) (laughs) I said no carbs. But yes. But that's me. Like, I'm the type of person who tries to rationalize that with my husband. Be like, I'm allowed 30 net carbs a day, Thomas. And he's like, yeah, two of those. (laughs) You can have two of those. I'm like, that's not fail. (laughs) And you don't realize what the fuck carbs is in. Like, like, I'm like, Mm -hmm. oh, this is something that's liquid and i'm like oh no you have 45 carbs per serving yeah it's crazy sad face but yeah we will scoot away from the health talk because that's not why these guys are here you never know i mean shit there's like hmm, let me turn on this paranormal true crime podcast maybe they're gonna talk about diet we'll see (laughs) we are an all like all inclusive we are the costco of podcasts we got everything in bulk honestly and then like (laughs) I had someone message me and I took this as a huge compliment and I I think I told Jessica after. I don't remember. But I had someone say that we kind of were the like I think they saw like a review of someone who didn't like our banter and stuff which, you know, that's fine. Not everyone likes it. But they're wrong. They had but- <laughs> <laughs> Oh god. <I'm> kidding. <laughs> Tr- no, don't. <laughs> Trolls don't. Please don't. <laughs> I'm totally kidding. I'm being just I'm just being obnoxious. I'm a little hyper, apparently. It's all good. It's the sugar. Yes, it's all right. (laughs) It's all good. They said uh, that we reminded them, like, style-wise of my favorite murder, and I wanted to, like, cry and hug this person because that's one of our favorite podcasts. So You didn't share that with me. (laughs) I thought I did. Okay, well, there you go. Here's her real reaction, guys. (laughs) I'm so excited right now. Like, aww. Yeah. So anyways, we will go ahead and dive in. We have some murder to talk about this week. Jessica, you want to go first with your fabulous person? <laughs> yeah, because my lady <laughs> is fucking, she is extra to the extra. Like, oh, Ooh, let's do it. Okay. So her name at the time of her arrest was Dorothy Helen Montevallo Fuente. That's a mouthful. Okay. Yes. But she was born... You know, as a little baby. Mm-hmm. Dorothy, or no, I apologize. Her name isn't Dorothy. It's Dorothea Helen Gray. So she's born Dorothea. She's Dorothea through this whole thing. I just keep saying Dorothy because I don't know. I'm crazy. <laughs> All I good. I apologize. All good. She was born January 9th, 1922 in Redlands, California. And if you don't know where that is, it's down in the San Bernardino area to Judy May Yates and Jesse James Gray. She didn't have a great childhood. Her parents weren't the warm and fuzzy parents. From what I kind of gleaned from a lot of documentaries and stuff about her life is that they were kind of abusive. They didn't really care about her. They had other children and they had like six other kids and they were very neglectful. But don't worry, karma got him. Oh, good. (laughs) Dorothea's father died in 1937 of tuberculosis. So she was eight, which is so sad because, like, she's yeah, a little girl. And then in 1938, her mother died in a car accident. So just a year later. So she was nine. Oh, shit. Wow. Yeah. So at nine years old, Dorothea is put into an orphanage and is then goes into the system and is bounced around from home to home. She wasn't very well loved, you know. Mm-hmm. And I think, like, I want to take a moment and talk about, like, she has that failure to attach or that syndrome where, like, you don't understand connection with people. Mm-hmm. And, like, the way she killed these individuals and or supposedly killed, 
these individuals. I don't think she saw other people as other people. I think she just saw them as there. So she had a pretty rough life. And then at the age of 16, so in 1945, she married her first husband, which was Fred McFall. He had just returned from World War II. So she was like, oh, husband, soldier, and whatnot. And they got married. And then shortly thereafter, in 1946, she got pregnant and had a baby girl. And then in 1948, she got pregnant and had another girl. Oh, wow. Right. So she had two kids in a very short period of time. One of the things that was interesting is, mind you, like, Dorothea was 17 when she gave birth to her first child. And then, you know, 19 when she gave birth to her second child. And I don't think she was ever mentally developed in that, or maybe not mentally is not the word I'm looking for, is psychologically developed to really, truly care for someone other than herself in a a selfless way, which you kind of have to be to be a parent. Right. And it's just said the information that I got is that she gave one up to go live with family in Sacramento. And then the other one she gave up for adoption. So, like, I would think that the first child went to the one in Sacramento and then they gave the second one up for adoption. But it could be the other way. I don't know. She was weird. So who the fuck knows? So Fred and Dorothea didn't have, like, a great relationship. Obviously, I think he was looking for that, like, maternal, wonderful mother. And then that just wasn't her. Like, essentially, he just left her in 1948. Which maybe is what, like, so she actually, after giving the second baby up in 1948 she got pregnant again and then had a miscarriage and so like after that he was like bye hmm that's sad and then so dorothea she has a little bit of issues (laughs) the same year that fred leaves her she gets arrested for check fraud (laughs) Uh oh but it's not like essentially i think she just forged someone's signature on a check Mm-hmm. And she was sentenced to a year in prison, but mm-hmm. only served six months and then was paroled after that. After that, the girl did not understand contraception whatsoever. <laughs> she got pregnant again by a, a man she barely knew and wasn't quite sure if it was his. And she gave birth to a daughter who she gave up for adoption. Ooh, she's a busy girl. Jesus. Yeah, she needed to learn to keep her legs fucking shut. Like, yeah, just a little bit. Dorothea... May you rest in peace now, or not rest in peace because you fucking murdered a lot of people, but you needed to learn contraception real quick. Quit hoeing. Quit hoeing, which you're going to get excited about in a minute. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) So shortly thereafter, in 1952, she marries Axel Johansson. Now, Axel Johansson is from Sweden, and they were married for 14 years. Oh, wow. It was not, a, again, not a good marriage. He was very violent. He was very aggressive with her. But she stayed with them for 14 years for some God knows reason. Mm. But during this time, she got arrested for owning and managing a brothel. Oh, I feel like I might know who this is now. Okay. All right. So her number one, I wouldn't say client, but her number one, like, product was herself (laughs) okay because i think she was really destitute like they didn't have a lot of money and so she figured out early on like if i just sell myself i can make money she spent 90 days in the sacramento county jail and then she gets out and she has nowhere to go because obviously she can't go back to her fucking brothel right (laughs) she gets arrested again and spends another 90 days in jail for being a vagrant which can't happen now because there are too many homeless people in sacramento just saying right So, I mean, this is kind of where, like, that's the beginning of her career. Now, obviously, we know it ends with murder. Mm -hmm. 
So you can see where this has kind of started. It starts with check fraud. And this bitch's motivation the whole time is money. Mm-hmm. Like, from the get-go. So at this time, she becomes a nurse's aide and starts helping care for elderly people. And then she somehow manages to get into this boarding house. In 1966, she divorces Johansson and marries Roberto Fuente, which he was 19 years her, like, junior. So, like, he a baby. Oh, she's a cougar in this situation. Got you. They only only last for, like, two years. And then, like, it ended. Yeah. And this is the point in time where she goes in and she starts working. And I live in Sacramento. I I can say that because it's a big town. So you're not going to find me anywhere. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, Some of you have my address because I mailed you shit. But don't show up at my door. That'd be crazy. I'd be scared. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like a scaredy cat anyways. Like my husband like was opening the door today and I was like, oh, my God, someone's breaking in our house. And he's like, it's me. Like (laughs) I I was on the phone with him like. He's like, you're an idiot. I'm like, I know. It's, I'm sad. I'm scared. <laughs> For like no reason whatsoever. Anyway, so she starts working at this three-story, 16-bedroom care home at 2100 F Street in Sacramento. Now, downtown Sacramento has a lot of like Victorian homes. And so this was one of them. Mm-hmm. But she decides she's going to rent this upper room, um, upper apartment from her nephew at 1426 F Street. So this is also where she gets married again, where she gets the Montevello mm-hmm. added to her name. But they weren't very married for very long because he was a violent alcoholic. So shoot. She picks the winners. Yeah. So this is that's in the 70s. And so in the 80s, she kind of moves everything into her own home at 1426 F Street, which, by the way, it's still there. <laughs> it is actually before that was considered a historical landmark because of all like it was a Victorian home. So from that era. So mm-hmm. so she moves there. Now, here is where shit gets weird because her victim count is anywhere between nine and 15. OK, so what happens is she starts getting this reputation. It's like very hit or miss. Her tenants either love her because she's amazing or they're pissed because they feel like she's stealing their money. So what ends up happening is in in 1982, she's arrested for check fraud again. Mm-hmm. But this time she's arrested on 34 counts of treasury fraud because what she would do is she would sign their SSI checks, their social security insurance checks and cash them. And she would say like, I'm doing this so that you don't have to keep track of your money. Oh, fuck. Mm-mm. So the first victim that we kind of know of is 61 year old it was her friend and business partner, Ruth Monroe. She was living in the upstairs apartment with Dorothea. Essentially, the story is, is that her husband died and she was lonely. And so she met this guy and was kind of seeing him. And he introduced her to Dorothea and then they became friends. And Dorothea's like, let's open a restaurant, which I guess she kind of did for like a smidge, but didn't really pan out too well. So... She was, like, dating this guy, and then this guy gets cancer. So Ruth is, like, sad and lonely, and her kids are like, what do we do? And Dorothea's like, I have an idea. Why don't you move in with me? Mm. And so it was Easter Sunday, and her boys packed her up and moved her into Dorothea's house. And three weeks later, she was dead. Surprise, surprise. She had committed suicide, quote unquote. It was ruled a suicide at the time by basically Dorothea said she was very depressed. Mm -hmm. 
because of like her boyfriend dying or being diagnosed or I guess it, they be, actually were married. So, so it was her husband was terminally ill and dying and she was depressed and she just didn't want to suffer. So she ended up committing suicide by essentially taking medication and drinking, which slowly killed her over the three weeks. Oh, wow. Okay. Her sons, like at first they were like, oh my God, my mom is dead. But then they were like, uh, okay, this doesn't seem right. My mom was happy. She was like maybe a little sad about this, but she was like, she'd already lost one husband, like their dad. Like why would this one like, you know, why would she commit suicide? Mm-hmm. So essentially this happened in April. And then later that year is when she was arrested. She was arrested for the check fraud or the the 34 counts. And she was supposed to serve five years, but she got out in 1985. Essentially what happens is she gets a pen pal in prison because I guess that was a thing. I can see that in that time period. I can see that. Yeah. So she's got this like pen pal and his name is Everson Gilmouth and he's from Oregon and they're riding back and forth. In fact, when she was released in 1985, he picked her up in his red 1984 pickup truck and they were so happy. And then all of a sudden, Emerson just stopped being around. Mm, I wonder what happened to him. Mm-hmm. And his family <laughs> is calling and they're like, where is he? And she'd always be like, oh, he you just missed him. He left. And this is before cell phones. So, like, I'm trying to think back then, like, that could make sense. Mm-hmm. Like, if you weren't saying, like, I'm going to call you at three o'clock on Tuesday, like, you wouldn't know when someone was calling mm-hmm. you. And this was even, I think, before, like, what is it? Like the car phones or any of that, right? Right. Or even before, like, um, answering machines. I, I don't Pagers? know what answering machines. Answering machine? Maybe. I don't know. Oh, I actually meant like an answering machine. Like, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. I don't know. It, it, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so it's not like, you know, this, like, if she wasn't giving him the messages or like they were just calling at random times. Mm-hmm. So essentially, like, his family is like, whatever. But Dorothea was like, everything is fine. We're planning on getting married. Everything is great. And then Dorothea hires a handyman by the name of Flores. And she's like, okay, look. I want to install some paneling in my apartment. So then she pays him $800 and then gives him a 1980 red pickup truck. Hmm. Weird. Mm-hmm. Saying that it belonged to her boyfriend who moved to Los Angeles and he no longer needed it. So then Flores bills her this, like, essentially, like, bookshelf. hmm Right? Mm-hmm. And then one day she calls him again and is like, hey, can you help me? Hmm. I filled it with stuff and I've like shut it like I've nailed it shut and I need to take it to a garbage depot or like the local dump, which mm-hmm. oh, by the way, they would have caught her fast because the dumps out here are very fucking clean. Like I'll give one thing. Sacramento dumps. They like take care of their business. <laughs> like The things that we've dropped off there. It's like you don't get a second chance to be like, maybe I want that and go back and get it. Like, no, it's gone. Like they like crush it. <laughs> and do it. Yeah. It's there like a day. It's. Yeah, it's not bad at all. So like she so as they're driving and then she's like, no, 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 let's let's stop. Let's because she went with them. She's like, let's just dump it here on the side of this <laughs> riverbank. That's not suspect at all. <laughs> right. And it was like kind of also un- it was known for like unofficial like dumping, like, mm-hmm. I guess, you know, so she dumps it off on January 1st, 1986. A fisherman spots the box sitting on the bank and informed the police and they came and they found this decomposing body of an elderly man. They have no clue who he is. But Dorothea continues to collect his pension. Of course she does. 
And she writes letters to his family explaining the reasons why he no longer wants to contact them because he's ill and all this stuff and mentions that he's being taken care of and whatnot. And so at this point in time, his family is like, what the fuck? Okay, Mm -hmm. now I want to say to this family, like if it had been my dad, there would be no like organism that far away. I'd have been in my car driving to this place. I would have been there knocking on the door like I'm going to sit here and wait till my dad shows up. Right. So over the next few years, Dorothea has tenants because now she's out. And by the way, one of her conditions of parole is that she's not supposed to be working in a boarding house situation. Own a boarding house, be any kind of boarding house. So she just starts taking in the elderly. And a lot of the people that she took in specifically, she did. She kind of found out about. They realized they didn't have anyone or they had family who just didn't give a shit. Like people who were like, eh. They're like, yeah, my kids never call. Like, no one's ever going to, no one ever comes to see them. Mm-hmm. So really, it kind of showed that she had, like, this turnover. And so they'd be there. But the thing is, is that she would continue to still cash their checks. So in 1998, no, not 1998, in 1988, mm-hmm. before Tara was born and I was two, <laughs> a social worker was looking for a man by the name of Alberto Montoya. He was a tenant of hers. Are you laughing because how I said his name? <laughs> Alberto Montoya. Just Montoya just reminds me of um, Princess Bride. <laughs> <laughs> My name is Ilo Montoya. <laughs> mm-hmm. right. So Alberto, who was affectionately known as Albert. He was a developmentally challenged man who had schizophrenia. Mm. Um, it was later found out that his mother and father, like, they lived in New Orleans. And one day, the dude just got up and started walking. He, like, walked away and somehow ended up in Sacramento. Oh, wow. Right. So this social worker finds him and goes, you know what? I'm going to take you to this place because Dorothea was known around town to take in wayward people and kind of help them get back on their feet. And then they move on. At least that's what Mm -hmm. everyone thought. And she would donate a lot of stuff to charities. So they were like, oh, she's just this really great person. Let's set you up in her house. So he lived there for about six months. And then the social worker would stop in to see him and he wouldn't be there. And of course, Dorothea had all these like excuses and she'd call. And after a while, it started to get a little like, okay, he's just not what's happening. Right. So she calls one day and is like, where is Bert? You know, and she's like, oh, so my nephew who owns the property, he and some friends went to Mexico and Bert really wanted to go. So they took him with them. They have all his meds. He's very well taken care of. Like, so he's going. And here's, I think, where her first trip up was. She said, he'll be back in a few days. Oh, yeah. I would have said, I don't know when they'll be back. Not that I'm a serial killer and would plan this, but this just seems like you said he'll be back in a few days, which then means that there's a chance for her to meet up with him again. Mm -hmm. Because if you say, I don't know, then whatever. But it's like they wait. It's open-ended. Yeah, they wait three or four days, come back. He's still not there. There you go. Right. So the social worker, like, boom, like stuff is like flying off in her head. Like something's wrong. So she calls back a few days later mm-hmm. and she's like, oh, you just missed him. Like he came back, you know, you just missed him. And she's like, look, I want to talk to him. And so that was like a Friday. Well, then on that Monday, the social worker got a call from a man who first gave a name 
the wrong name and then said he was like oh no no i'm so-and-so montoya and um my nephew is alberto montoya and i just want to let you know because dorothy had told him that you were looking for him i just want to let you know i came and got him i found out that he was living in sacramento and i wanted to take care of him so i moved him to utah with me in shreveport utah so then she calls dorothea and dorothea says the same thing this is i came home there was a note this is what happened and the social worker's like bullshit Mm -hmm. total bullshit (laughs) right so she sends the police over The police get over there and they start interviewing people. And she's like, this is where it is. He was here and this is what happened. And the tenants are like, yeah, that's what happened. Well, one of the tenants, as the police are leaving, is like, oh, I'm going to go do something and leaves too and catches up with the police and hands him a note. Then he meets this police officer offsite somewhere and they start talking and he's like, look, Dorothea asked me to lie. Mm, You're fucked, bitch. (laughs) Right. And there's all these other people who have just left or gone missing or the same situation. Mm -hmm. You need to look into her. So the police officer calls the social worker back and is like, look, this is what we found. And they're like, okay, well, you need to go. She's like, you need to go back over there because there's something going on there. And by the way, I think you need to bring shovels. (gasps) Oh, And she's like, what do you mean? She's like, because there have been several times where I've driven past that property and I've seen mounds of dirt that remind me of burial sites, but I don't think anything because, you know, Bert will tell me that it's like she's burying trash in the backyard. Because apparently that was something people did was bury trash in the backyard. Hmm. And then it would like, I guess, decompose. And then I don't know. Hmm. Doesn't make sense. Not good for the environment. Don't do it. Mm -mm. Yeah. (laughs) And so they go back over there and she opens the door. And this time it's two detectives and her parole officer Mm. okay and they open the door and she's like oh i'm expecting you and they're like thinking like the performance that she gave the last time they were like this sounded weird because if it hadn't been for the social worker pushing and this other guy handing the note we didn't think anything of it we thought the story was legit right because she was such a good liar and so they were like okay cool they asked can we come in and look around the house and she of course being that like serial killer who thinks i'm not gonna get caught goes sure come on in so they come in they look around and they notice that it smelled a little funny in a certain area of the house and that kind of stuff so then as they're getting ready to i think she thinks leave the police officer goes do you mind if i dig in your backyard i just i just need to check there was some report of some Mm -hmm. disturbance in the dirt and she first goes you know what let's do it this way (laughs) you go back to your office i'll hire a handyman to come and dig it all up for you that way you don't have to waste your time digging and then you can just come back and look and the the cop is like uh no because think about it that's not how this works (laughs) she's trying to be slick (laughs) and mind you dorothy and i i haven't said this but i should say this because this is kind of the bigger shock thing here Dorothea Fuentes looks like a fucking 85-year-old at 59. Oh, okay. Hmm. Like, she look old. She has no teeth. She tell people that she's in her 70s and that she's just doing this as a way to, like, you know, supplement her living by taking care of people because she still can. So she look old as fuck, but she's hmm. 59. Well, that's unfortunate for her. Right. So when they're looking at her, they're seeing little old grandma mm-hmm right seriously right now everyone google her you're gonna be like what the fuck <laughs> so they're like okay so they start digging in the backyard and they get down about three feet and they start finding like scraps of clothing but they had uh, said ooh. okay she said she was bearing trash so this could have just been like scraps of, of clothing thrown in a trash can 
So they keep digging and then they come across these big pieces of what they could only call leather. Oh, no. Yeah, it's what you're thinking. And they're like, okay, they're these weird like leather pieces and they don't like maybe they went to like some pants or maybe they went to a jacket, like something like that. They didn't know. And then they get digging a little more and they catch their shovel on something and they think it's a tree root. (gasps) And so they're sitting there and they're trying and they basically after like a good long while at this point, they've been out there for over an hour. They literally the one of the detectives pulls as hard as he can and out pops what he thinks is going to be a tree root. And he looks in his hand. It's a fucking femur. Oh, no. (laughs) Right. And he's looking down at it like, holy shit. So then Dorothea comes out and they show her like the guy sitting in the in the hole holding this femur. And she's like, oh, no. Oh, my God. What is that? What is that? Where did that come from? And they were like, uh, you tell us it's a human femur type thing. (laughs) So at this point in time, the entire case gets like slowed down. They have call in a forensics team, everything. So they like block the area off. And the next day it like fucking exploded. There was media from all over the world. Like everything happened because this human remains was found in this little old lady's backyard. Mm-hmm. People think she's in her 70s. And this little tiny old lady has this dead. And they're like, what? And she's obviously going, I didn't do it. I was in prison. People could have put it in there while I was in prison. <laughs> People lived here when I didn't live here. Like that was kind of her first excuse. Mm. So they were like, okay. Mm -hmm." So they get people out and they realize that it's this whole fucking giant yard. So they start digging it up. So they have an excavator, but they're also hand digging. And one of the detectives, he's digging and he's just about to get like in the timeline of digging. He's probably about two feet from the body. Oh, and Dorothea comes up to him and is just like, I, I can't, like, there's too many people here. I, I, I'm i not feeling good. Can I go across the street to this hotel and get myself a coffee and sit down and relax while you guys finish? Because mind you, at this point in time, they're not sure who put them there because there are people who live in her boarding house. Right. For all they know, Bert could have killed someone, buried them in the backyard, and then fucking took off. Mm-hmm. They don't know what's happening. They don't know who's done this. Mm-hmm. So, and I think that she was a suspect, but she wasn't like the suspect at the time. Right. So the detective's like, sure, let me take you. So he walks her literally out to the street and then kind of like halfway across the street because there's all these people. And it was said like kids were coming from after school to watch this, lobbyists on their lunch break because F Street isn't like the capital's on J. So they just had to like come over. Mm-hmm. It's not that far. So they were like coming and watching this on their lunch breaks, that kind of stuff. And mind you, this happened November 11th, 1988, which is the day after my wedding was the 30th anniversary of this shit. Ooh, creepy. <laughs> right? Like, oh my God. <laughs> so then she's like, okay, so then he gets back and he's only digging for like another few minutes and he finds the second body. Mm-hmm. And he's like, they found this. And the captain's like, where is Dorothea? And he's like, she's across the street having coffee. Well, the bitch was sly because what she did was she got up and she went in there. The hotel says they saw her come in. She walked to a fucking payphone. She hailed a cab and fucking took off. So in the very short time it took them to find it, who knows where? So she fled and she eventually. So there was a five day manhunt. They called the FBI in. They eventually found her in Los Angeles. And how she got caught was she was at a bar. 
Because that's what's <laughs> how she also found people and how to get their checks and how to get them into the house is that she would go out to these bars and troll for Grandpa D and then like be like, ooh, you get SSI? Like, come live with me. I'll just, I'll take care of you. Like, that's how she was. Like, she was like, she figured out that like, guess what? If I find a, a lonely old man in a bar, chances are nobody gives a fuck about him. Mm-hmm. And I think she did that with women. Like, she was like, oh, no one cares about you. Yeah. I live in my house. Also, it wasn't unusual that these people would be, because they were elderly, that they'd have some sort of sickness and that they would be taking medication. Mm-hmm. And that if they drank and take their medication, right. that this would be a bad, you know. Like a bad mix. Yeah. Yeah. So she's down in Los Angeles and she starts this again. Obviously, she's like, I need money. The only way I know how to get money is to find someone with like a social security check and then take it over. Jesus. <laughs> So this guy was at the bar with her and she had like talked to him all evening. And then he goes home and he's sitting on his couch watching the news and her picture pops up. Oh. And she had like given him like, I'm staying at this hotel. I'm staying over there. Like, so then he just calls the FBI hotline and is like, I know where she's at. (laughs) Come get this bitch. (laughs) Pretty much. So it was like five days after she's missing. Wow. She's caught. She's brought in. The detectives from Sacramento fly into Orange County and when they go to get her, she's just like, I'm really sorry I took those people's money. Wow. Okay. Not about murdering them, just their money. Okay. Mm-mm. Because what she claims is that she didn't kill them, that they would all died of natural causes, but she needed their money. Bullshit. Right. I call bullshit, too. so it took quite some time like they had to go through the whole backyard and everything and it was a huge media frenzy and i guess for like a year or so like the street basically was blocked off so people who lived on f probably were like ah fuck this Mm -hmm. (laughs) because they had to like go through the house they had to go through everything they had to find everything like literally when the detectives went in it was like this bitch did not try to conceal like how she got away with it for so long not only did she hire handymen to dig holes in her backyard and then they would magically be filled again Mm -hmm. but on her like fucking table was a book of like prescription drugs and their like side effects and so it literally was like her cookbook is what they called it Uh, (laughs) and i use quotes because the bitch wrote a cookbook oh my god so she like had all this stuff the bedroom that she would keep them in was this like other room that's where she would like kill them essentially she would give them way too many pills and alcohol and then just leave them on the floor to die or this is what they're they think have happened um because the thing is they couldn't find cause of death besides like an overdose yeah it's hard to prove i guess i got you right Okay, so let's go through this. We'll go through the case and then we'll talk about the theories behind it. Mm -hmm. So she goes to trial in 1992 because it was such a big deal. It took so long and it took like all it took a huge portion of time. Mm-hmm. They d- couldn't do it in Sacramento County because of the fact that there was so much media around it that they felt like they couldn't give her a fair trial in Sacramento. So she goes. Makes sense. So like she had two attorneys that came in. And they filed a motion. So essentially, they had like the DA, John O'Mara, he brought in 130 witnesses. Wow. Holy shit. That's a lot. Mm hmm. Because shit didn't add up. Like, for instance, when they first came in and they were looking at her house, they found a pill bottle on the floor and it said Dorothy Miller. And she's like, oh, that's a family member of mine who was staying with me. She must have just left it. 
Well, come to find out, Dorothy Miller is one of the people who lived in her house who they fucking found in her backyard. Oh, plot twist. Mm-hmm. So they found, like, I think they found 70, not 70, they found seven bodies. I was mm-hmm. looking at their ages. <laughs> <laughs> so it'd be like, God damn. It was a huge backyard. No. Um, And then plus the Evers and Gilmouth, like, and how they found out how it was related is they were like, wait a second. So... I wonder if there's any other cases around here that are like this because of the way that she like would like get rid of the body. She'd drop it in a comforter and then in plastic and then bury it. Mm-hmm. So she's they're like, I wonder if we found any other bodies. And then like Sacramento was like, oh, the sheriff's department was like, yeah, we have this guy. And then when they like find him, they were like, okay, I wonder if this could be connected. Everson's family reached out and said, I think because obviously they saw it on the news. I think my father was or my this person was part of one of her murders they were like, yeah, I think it's this dude <laughs> that we found in a box by the river. In total, she was charged with nine murders, one for Everson Gilmouth, and eight were tenants. So it was Ruth Monroe, Leona Carpenter, Alberto Montoya, who they did find in her backyard, Dorothy Miller, Benjamin Fink, James Gallup, Vera Faye Martin, and Betty Palmer. And Fink was interesting because he was just an alcoholic. And so the last thing that anyone ever knew of him was that she's like, I'm going to cure him. And they went up to her her room. And that was the last time anyone saw him. But she said that she ended up kicking him out that night because of the fact that he just wasn't going to give up drinking. And one of the tenants said that the night that he supposedly moved out, he kept hearing this like loud thudding noise down the stairs. So she goes to trial. She is convicted of three murders. But all of the rest, it was, like, deadlocked. It was, like, 11 to 1. Like, there was one person going, I just don't know about these. So they were, like, you know, a mistrial. And Mm -hmm. they decided that they weren't going to pursue them again. Because for the other cases, she got life. Mm. She got got two counts of life and then one, like, 25-year sentence for something else. Oh, because it was second-degree murder for that one. Gotcha. So here's my theories on this bitch. She could not have acted alone. No, there's no way, because isn't she small, too? She, like, your size or smaller. Yeah. Like, she a tiny, petite lady, like, under five, some, like, she, like, five one. Like, she tiny. Mm -hmm. And she looks like an old, like, frail grandma, which is kind of the beauty of it, is that she looked old. Like, they say she would, like, take out her dentures in front of people. Like, she really played up, like, I'm old. Gotcha. Because Mm -hmm. I think she thought is even if one day if she's discovered, there's no way they're going to assume it's me. Right, because old usually equals frail. Mm Mm-hmm. But then when they find out that she's only 59, they're like, okay, but still, like, one of the detectives on one of the documentaries, he's like, imagine, like, being tiny. Like, um, imagine me asking you, Tara, and I mean, it's different because you lift weights and everything, but, like, if you don't, (laughs) if you didn't lift weights, if if it was, like, go pick up that 100-pound pack of potatoes and carry it downstairs. Mm Mm-hmm. Like, you wouldn't think it, it would be possible, right? Right. So what they think, like, there's several theories, is that, one, that Albert or Bert was one of her like helpers, but he was only there for a little bit. There was a theory that one of her, she'd always have one of the other tenants help her. Mm -hmm. And then eventually she'd get tired of them or get worried and kill them and then bring someone new in or that her handyman 
who kept coming around and digging the holes was part of it. I would say probably that one's the most probable because, mm-hmm. like, I don't know. I mean, I know he's getting paid and everything, but even if he was just digging the holes, he'd kind of be like, what the fuck, eventually. So I guarantee she paid him X amount extra to be like, keep fucking quiet mm-hmm. and help me with these bodies. And he did it. Right. Or I think there might be a whole other other person out there that she just, like, split money True. with. Like, her nephew, who house it was like maybe she's like you help me with this i give you money Mm -hmm. like i said she was given life one of the jurors said that they couldn't because it in california at the time it came down to like either life in prison or execution Mm -hmm. and it was life without parole or execution and someone was like i just can't execute her because it would be like executing my grandma because that's what she looked like. She looks like, like I was asking, I asked uh, my coworkers today because mm-hmm. they lived in Sacramento at the time. And I said, what was your feelings? And they remember thinking like, there's no way this lady did it. In fact, if one of them was like, she looks like she looked like my mother-in-law at the time. Like she just looked like this innocent little woman. And how dare she like, how dare you accuse her of killing people? But I think she was such a true sociopath because she's never once admitted to the murders. In fact, a reporter was there in 2008 and she would give him interviews. And eventually she's like, if you want to come back, you have to bring me shit. And he was like, mm, no, <laughs> I don't like you that much. Yeah. Nah, but one of the last, yeah. One of the last interviews he had with her, he was like, if you're innocent the way you keep saying you're innocent, how does it make you feel that people think you killed them? And she's like, I don't give a shit what other people think of me. Oh, okay. Right? Not, I wish they would just think I'm innocent. I wish they'd listen to my side of the story. Just fuck them. <laughs> Right. Like, I don't give a shit. And I think, honestly, this woman is guilty as fuck. Mm-hmm. I think she had help. I think that somewhere along the line, like, she wasn't loved enough when she was young to really, truly be able to form bonds with other people. So I think she learned really young how to fucking take care of herself. Mm-hmm. So, bitch be crazy. Very crazy. She died on March 27th of 2011 in Chowchilla Women's Facility. Of natural causes. Wow. She lived pretty long, though. She was 82. Hmm. I mean, and you think about it, like, that was over 20 years. She was incarcerated for over 20 years. Mm-hmm. I mean, like I said, she wrote a cookbook. It's called Cooking with a Serial Killer. Uh, stay tuned to the end to find out how you could win a copy of that motherfucker. Yes. Tara and I were like, bye instantly. We need this book in our life. And on the back, because you know on Amazon how they show you the back cover? Mm-hmm. It's like the Sacramento Bee <laughs> like <laughs> did a review on it and it was like, in good taste? Question mark? It was like <laughs> ser- serial killer granny <laughs> known for her like stews and pudding. Mm. And I was like, well, if she was a good cook like, we could be about that. But, <laughs> you know, we'll see. We'll see. And one of you guys will too. <laughs> Right. So that is my crazy lady, uh, serial killer. And I, okay, I do want to show the story of how I found out about her because I didn't know about her until 2017. Okay. We were coming back from my work Christmas party at this restaurant in downtown Sacramento called L and or Ella, which is delicious, by the way. If you live there or ever visiting, it's delicious. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I digress. We were driving down F Street and my boss goes, oh, that's Dorothy Frentes's house. And I was like, who the fuck is that? And she's like, oh, that lady who killed all those people and buried him in her backyard. And <laughs> I went, excuse me, what? <laughs> what? <laughs> and we're like at this, we're at the light, like staring at this house. And I'm like, I did not know about this. People still live in that house. 
Wow, that's crazy. I was going to ask if you've driven by it and stuff. So there we go. That answered my question. Yes. And the address is 1426 F Street, Sacramento, California. They have a mannequin dressed like Dorothea on their front porch. (laughs) So at least the people that live there have like kind of good humor about people driving by their house. (laughs) Yeah. Their master bedroom is the house in which she fucking killed the people. Oh, my God. (laughs) This house has been on like ghost shows like ghost adventures Mm -hmm. like spirit all these other shows i'm like how do i get in this house like how do i like i live here i'm a paranormal podcaster (laughs) in your area how do i get in your house (laughs) and the detectives are like it's creepy because everything is the same like they just like sanded the floors down it's the same floor oh wow and i'm like hmm okay that i'm a little concerned about but you know they really like leaned into it like mm-hmm. they really they like, embraced yeah, it. There's yeah. like a plaque up and I'm like, good for them because they bought a house that was like, they can't tear the house down. Otherwise it was going to stay vacant and then vagrants would go in and break in. But you know what? They have taken care of it. They The backyard looks fantastic according to like what I saw in one of the documentaries. I was like, what? Look at this. <laughs> They're like, and one of the bodies was found over there under this fountain. I was like, well, okay, <laughs> damn. So, all right then. If you're listening, which I don't know if you you do, but if you listen and you own that house, please let me come inside. Please, please, please. <laughs> awesome. That is all for me. Today's show is brought to you by Audible. Audible is offering our spooksters a free audiobook with a 30 day trial membership. Just go to audibletrial.com slash three spooked girls and browse the unmatched selection of audio programs. Download a title free and start listening. It's that easy. Go to audible.com slash three spooked girls and get started today. Why Audible? Audible content includes an unmatched selection of audiobooks, original audio shows, news, comedy, and more from the leading audiobook publishers, broadcasters, and entertainers. Do you know why I'm super excited about this? Like why we got this partnership? It's honestly like the perfect timing. Yeah. Yeah, because like since I'm getting ready to go on my trip Mm -hmm. over to California like next week, I went and signed up already and I downloaded my book so I can listen to it on the plane since I'm a like religious podcast listener and I know I'm caught up. So I have nothing else to listen to. Oh, it's true. That's actually very smart because I'm sitting over here like I have a like five hour plane ride to Tulsa when I go. So that's brilliant. Right. Yeah. And I have been keeping an eye on this like thriller kind of like true crime inspired book that's by an author I really like. It's called Say You're Sorry. It's by Melinda Lee. And they actually had it on there. And you can pick like whatever titles you want. So that's what I went and chose for my free book. And normally, you know, it's. Twenty three ninety nine, and I got it for free because I used our URL on that. Awesome. I'm going to check it out. So I'm going to go there right now. So the book that I've been really wanting to read is Where the Crawdads Sing by Delia Owens. Because if you know me, I love Reese Witherspoon. And I love the fact that she has this book club. And I'm so excited about it. And it's her top one. So oh, there it is. It's available free with the trial. Yeah, I'm going to do that. Because otherwise, I'd be spending like twenty four fifty. Yeah, heck yeah. I know we were talking about that on our other episodes. So that's like perfect. So yeah, you guys, you can pick any book. You don't have to pick just like the books we're recommending. You can get anything. They have so many different titles you guys can choose from. So to download your free audiobook today, just go to audibletrial.com slash three spooked girls. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash three spooked girls for your free audiobook. <laughs>
So guys, before I tell you about my serial killer, I text my sister who works at Starbucks. If she knew what the recipe was, she did not, but she went and did some research for us. She went on Pinterest and she said it's the strawberries and cream frap with vanilla and raspberry syrup added into it. And that's your fruity pebbles. That, yeah, this, this sounds very much like it. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. So I was telling her thank you for that. But yes. Thanks, Sam. Yeah, yeah. So I feel like we choose a lot of women, which is totally fine for our true crime weeks. Mm-hmm. But... My serial killer is actually a man, hmm. right? It feels kind of weird. What? Statistically, that's impossible. <laughs> right? Statistically, it's impossible that we have all these women. <laughs> I mean, shit, right? Especially because it's like, there's like something crazy in Alaska where it's like some crazy statistic here that it's like men are like three to one to women or something. So, you yeah, know. Right. That's also why they pay you to live in that state. Mm-hmm. But all right, we're going to go ahead and my serial killer is one that is well known and it is one that took place here in Anchorage, which since this is like the most major city, I think like, it's not that surprising. Is Juneau a big city? Because it's not the... It's the capital, but yeah. I don't think it is. Uh, Anchorage is the lar- most populated area. There's like 300,000 people or something. And you guys have a lot of homeless. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As well. And have I shared the reason why you have a lot of homeless? Yes, you have. That they ship them up here. We know. Anyway, the weather is getting really nice here. So they're all coming out, all the crazies. So I know we have some Alaska listeners, so you know what the fuck I'm talking about. And a lot of these places I'm going to talk about, you're going to know exactly what I'm talking about. So like, you know, our 10% will know. The rest of you are going to be like, I don't fucking know. But hey, whatever. You'll be right. Truth. Basically, this is like the town I live in right now. So it's weird. But anyway, here we go. All right, so I have the serial killer whose nickname is the Butcher Baker. Oh, I should have said my lady's nickname. Oh, you can. What is it? It is. Oh, let me read it because it's it's made me giggle when I read it. Her nickname was the Death House Landlady. Oh, okay, perfect. I'll just use their nicknames <laughs> for the title. There we go. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so the Butcher Baker. His real name is Robert Hansen. He was born on February fifteenth of nineteen thirty nine in Esterville, Iowa. We'll get to how we got up to Alaska. Don't worry. I'm like, I know how you got to Alaska, but I'm always amazed when people are like, I lived here and then I moved to Alaska. I'm like, how? They just, you know, they just got there. You can drive, fly, whatever. Ferry. Does someone glamour them like in True Blood? Like when they're like, you will go and you will live a life and you will meet a nice girl and you will have lots of babies. In Alaska. And and it didn't fucking work because he came back and ended up with Jessica anyway. So... Fucking spoilers if you haven't got that far. At this point, if you haven't, it's been like seven years. If not longer since that show ended. (laughs) (laughs) Right? Oh, okay. So Robert Hansen, like I said, he was born in Iowa, and he is going to fall into the stereotypes already of a serial killer. He was described as skinny, shy, he had a stutter, and he had severe acne, which left him with permanent scarring all over his face. Oh, so he's like me, but in guy form. Oh my God, shut the fuck up. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I wear lots of makeup. I'm kidding. I do have acne scars and I had a stutter as a kid. So yeah, no, but he like he had like crazy amounts oh. of it. Yeah. yeah, I don't have that. Bad. And he was described as like a loner. And he so he stayed pretty isolated. And psh, surprise, surprise. This means he was not lucky with the ladies. Aww. Girls got to be less shallow. Yeah, basically, he was shunned by like any girl he would approach. Like all of them. Aww. Yeah. So this rejection essentially is what 
created that hate he had for women and started to have these urges. And he had fantasies of wanting to get his cruel revenge on these girls and those like them. Yeah, we hear a lot about that in the serial killer world. Like, they have these Mm -hmm. fantasies. Like, Dahmer had fantasies. Yes. Didn't end well for him either. Mm -mm. But when he was younger, he did try to turn to hobbies that weren't murder. (laughs) Had to point that out. (laughs) That weren't murder. (laughs) Well, okay. I mean. Sorry. It was the way you said it. It was great. (laughs) Weren't murder of humans. So he picked up hunting and archery to try to distract himself. Thank you for clarifying that statement. Yes. So we're going to jump ahead. It's now 1957. Robert decided it was time to kind of just make something of himself. So he decided to listen to the Army Reserves. When he did this, it was originally supposed to be a six-year contract, but I couldn't quite find why. He only served one year and then he was discharged. But it wasn't anything bad, I'm assuming, because after this, he obtained a job as like an assistant drill instructor at a police academy. Um, and that was in Pocahontas, Iowa. <gasps> what? Uh, Pocahontas, Iowa? Yes. <laughs> oh, I'm Googling that now. Right? I knew you would enjoy that. And this is where he also met his first wife, and they got married in the summer of 1960. Aw, he found love in a hopeless place. Mm, sort of. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> it's Iowa. <laughs> no, I'm sorry. I'm joking. I have family in Iowa. I know some awesome people in Iowa, too, so you're good. Right. No, no. I just... <laughs> I, you know me. I like to be funny. Yes. Sometimes my funny can be offensive. I apologize. It's fine. It's fine. So things escalated quickly for him, like most of my serial killers that I pick. Mm-hmm. <laughs> By December of that year, he was arrested for burning down a Pocahontas County school bus garage. What the fuck? Yes. So he had he was charged with arson. He escalated quickly. Yes. So he actually served 20 months of a three-year prison sentence at Anamosta State Penitentiary. I looked up Pocahontas on the internet, mm-hmm. and its name is the city of Pocahontas, the princess city. Mm. I mean, they ain't wrong, you know. And while he was in jail for this, his first wife decided to file for divorce and leave him. That makes sense. Like, yes. it'd be really hard to be like, you'd be like, I love you, Thomas, but you burned down a fucking building. Yeah. You a little nuts. Goodbye. So over the next few years, he did serve more jail time. It was for mainly for petty theft. Mm-hmm. And also during this time in 1963, he married a second wife and they had two kids. Awesome. Mm-hmm. And then in 1967, that's when Robert and his family decided to make the move up to Anchorage, Alaska. Okie dokie. Yes. On paper, and probably to most people, like, you would think Robert had a great life. Like, there'd be no reason to think anything shady of this dude. It's totally the opposite of his childhood. Mm-hmm. He was extremely well-liked in the community. He had a lot of friends, and a couple of them, which later we'll get into, like, that ended up being his alibi. <laughs> They were very, like, well-to-do people. So, you know, during this time, Mm. if you owned a business, like, you were, you had that status, you know? Mm -hmm. He had a pretty, like, pretty good thing going on for him. And speaking of businesses, this is where the nickname Butcher Baker comes into play because he actually owned a local bakery there in Anchorage during the 70s and the 80s. Okay. Yes. So it's not like he baked the bodies or anything gross. So, you know. I was kind of thinking this is turning into Sweeney Todd. (laughs) (laughs) No, it ain't that bad. It's still bad, but not that bad. But this didn't help, like, keep him out of trouble, though. So in 1972, he was arrested two more times, and he was charged with the abduction and attempted rape of a housewife. She got away from him. 
and the rape of a prostitute who did not. Which, by the way, prostitution was legal, well, quote unquote, legal in Alaska for a lot longer than it should have been because they just didn't get the memo. So, yeah. And this case is going to piss you the fuck off. So here we fucking go. Here will be the first thing. (laughs) So he served less than six months. What the flying fuck? Yes. Sorry, I'm yelling. (laughs) I'm already heated. (laughs) It's fine. And then he was picked up again in 1976, so a few years later, for shoplifting a chainsaw. (laughs) Super Alaska. (laughs) Oh, my God. (laughs) I'm sorry. No, it's fine. I mean, of all the things in the world, to shoplift. A fucking chainsaw. How do you sneak that out? Right? And so he was convicted of larceny. He was originally sentenced to five years in prison, but the verdict was overturned on an appeal. The Alaska Supreme Court basically said his sentence was too harsh. So he was released a lot sooner and basically was told like, well, because he also, this is a little sidebar, you find out like way later, but I'm going to tell you the spoilers now. He faked being bipolar and all this other Mm -hmm. shit. And they were just like, well, then you go get treated for that kind of thing. Oh, Mm -hmm. you dick. Stop ruining it for people who actually have disabilities. Yeah. Have bipolar. Now, we are going to fast forward to the 80s now and this date i'm gonna tell you guys about i feel like is super super important in this case like it helped a lot could be wrong but this is my opinion so okay so during the 80s this is when like the the pipeline and all of that was getting put up here in alaska and i think like i'm pretty sure they were like working on the alaska highway and stuff because they did expand it quite a bit i was i was reading about it when we were moving up here because we we drove from georgia to alaska Mm -hmm. it was cool though some people are like, what the fuck? Why? But no, no, it was awesome. And we got to see a bunch of Canada. It was really cool. Because how else are you going to do it? You could fly. But how else would your shit get there? Well, our stuff got shipped. Oh. And like freight. We didn't bring our shit. Fuck that. We just brought ourselves some like, a, you know, a month's worth of clothes maybe. And then our, your dogs, our dogs and our child. So. <laughs> yeah, can't forget her. Mm-hmm. But anyway, yeah, so there was, like, a lot of people here, like, a lot of workers, and, you know, like, this kind of started to help bringing up the population here in Anchorage, you know? Mm -hmm. This was, like, the one major city, so it's, like, where people come to party, come to relax, all that stuff, you know? Mm -hmm. Okay, so, like you pointed out, prostitution was a huge fucking thing here. Huge thing. Huge, huge thing. And, you know, there's, (laughs) and it's crazy because, like, in the story, it mentions, like, certain sketchy motels and strip clubs and shit. They still exist here. So I'm just like, what? (laughs) You're, like, driving by, you're in my story. (laughs) Exactly. I was doing that the other day. Dirty, dirty places. Yep. (laughs) Pretty much. (laughs) All right. So the important date. So it was June 13th, 1983. And this was, like, like I said, a huge, I feel like, important event. For this case. So this was the day that 17-year-old Cindy Paulson escaped from Robert while he was trying to load her into his aircraft. The fuck aircraft? Like like a little plane, not like a I got a jet. I get that Alaskans like own this shit, mm-hmm. but like I know, even in the 80s it sounds kind of crazy. Right, like he owns an airplane. <laughs> like that was his way of getting rid of her. It was like, let's go. Yeah, no, no, no. Yeah, he had it. And basically, I'll kind of jump around here a little bit. So you're like, what the fuck? So basically what he would do, because obviously he's a serial killer, that's no spoiler there. <laughs> so he would he would do the things at his home, and then he would he would say he's gonna take them to a cabin. He would actually take them out to a remote area, and then there's more stuff that we will get to. So there's your little spoiler on that and ter- Jessica Tara. Jessica's face is like terrified. <laughs> Tara's face is terrifying. <laughs> 
side note like my coworker kaylee and i we've just become like one entity like people be like yeah it'll get done jessica jessica and kaylee will do it and it's like and the other day like someone walked up and was like kaylee and i'm like guess again (laughs) we look nothing alike she is blonde and i am like my hair is Mm -hmm. black yeah oh well it'll be all right (laughs) same difference i love her though so okay so when she talked to police, she told them that he had offered her $200 to perform oral sex. Mm. Yeah, she was a prostitute. Her backstory is really sad. She was actually a prostitute from like age 11 on because she ran away from home in this bad situation, all of that stuff. Mm. Anyway, and when she got into the car, he pulled out a gun and then they drove over to their house, which is on Muldoon. And you Alaska listeners, it's a sk- kind of th- there's some good restaurants over there. Like that's where the sushi restaurant I posted that picture of was at. Ooh. But um, certain parts of Muldoon are sketchy, so I ain't surprised. And there he held her captive. He had a chain that he kept around her neck so she couldn't go anywhere, and it was connected to this post. Basically, just treated her like shit, and then raped her and assaulted her as well. Hmm. Yeah. And while she was chained up, he also basically like flipped the TV on, was like, here, watch this. I'm going to take a nap and went to sleep. So left her fucking sitting there. The fuck? Yeah. And when he woke up, he decided to put her in his car. And then this is where they, when they had went to Merrill Field Airport. Now, if you're familiar with Anchorage or you're one of my people who live here and listen, that's that airport that when you're driving on the highway and you're trying to go down like towards downtown or towards Gamble, pretty much most people who live here who like, you know, like you go to the mall and stuff like that, you're going to pass this airport. Like we pass it all the time. Sketch. Yes. Crazy. And that's where he intended to take her out to his cabin, quote, quote. Mm. Mm -hmm. There was no cabin. But there was, like, a shack in, like, certain areas he had, like, you know, mapped out and shit. And this was on the Kanik River area in the Matanuska Valley. And basically the only way to get there was either by boat or by, like, bush plane. And he had a little plane. So that's how they got there if, you know, when he, when he went out there. Okay. So when they were loading up and everything, that he put her in the backseat of the car. She was actually handcuffed the whole time. So she, you know, to make things harder for her to try to escape, anything like that. Mm. When he got there with these kind of airports, I'm probably going to sound stupid because I don't know too much about this kind of crap, but it's like, you know, you got to check in with like the tower and report your like plane number and all that shit. On your flight plan a lot of times. Yes, exactly. So they can keep track. Well, he's a sketchy motherfucker, of course. So he wrote his plane number as small as was like legally possible Mm -hmm. and then usually what he did was he would like kind of check out what other planes were around the same time he was and he would give one of their numbers so he wasn't traced back to his flights oh okay Uh uh-huh and it's like because it was so small and because you know it's like not as much technology it's the fucking 70s and 80s like they took your word for it and i feel like alaska at this time is probably still at like good old country like you know Mm -hmm. we believe in each other and you know community right because everyone i know from alaska that's what they say about alaska is like oh yeah even now like people are so nice all that yeah no no no, totally so cindy was sitting there thinking like okay 
I got to get the fuck out of here. There's got to be a chance. If there's any chance at all, I need to fucking leave because if not, this dude's going to kill me. Mm-hmm. Because when they were also in the house, he bragged that there was seven girls before her that he had done the same thing. But she was lucky because usually they stayed about a week and she had only been there about, you know, a day or so. Oh. Mm-hmm. Mm. So she was like, fuck this shit. Mm -hmm. He was installing like a new um, airplane seat because he says later he was like he had been fixing it, whatever, as part of his alibi. So like, you know, makes sense. He was reinstalling the chair. And she took off like a bat out of hell. She left her shoes Mm -hmm. and she fucking went. And like, it's like right there. Well, I don't know in the 80s if this was there yet, but now it's like it's right there by a main highway. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. She took off and then she was able to like flag down a car and she was over on 6th Avenue, which is like I said, it's close to downtown. Mm. So sidebar real quick. There's a really good book that kind of illustrates this part of the story. I mean, the book overall is pretty good, but there's a book on Amazon and I downloaded it on Kindle and it was only like... Mm-hmm. I want to say like five or six dollars wasn't too bad. So if this kind of stuff like interests you at all, I would say just download it and check it out. It's just called Butcher Baker colon mm. <laughs> the true account of an Alaskan serial killer. And it's got him on the cover, red and white writing and then some mountains. But yeah, no, super good. It's a really good book. I would say check it out. Got it. So back to Cindy. So like I said, she took off to Sixth Avenue and she managed to flag down someone in a pickup truck. The driver, his name was Robert Yunt. And he was like, what the fuck? What's going on? Because she was like bloody and frazzled and obviously trying to get away from someone who's going to fucking kill her. Right, right. So he picked her up and then he drove her to the Mush Inn. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Sorry, like the mush in. Like, uh huh. And it's like, it's a, it's classy. No, but it's just a cute name. JK. Like, how yeah. dare they not be classy with that cute name? Get it together, mush in. Get it together. It's gross. Someone else needs to just steal their name and put a cute little place up. Yeah. This is where she jumped out and then like ran inside. And then that's where she talked to the clerk to call some, some stuff say her boyfriend, but I'm going to say her pimp probably. Depends which version you want to go with. Anyway, to go to the Big Timber Motel and the truck. It could be both. It could be both. But no, it definitely wasn't. And the truck driver decided to like continue on to work. But when he did, he called the police to report her because she was like barefoot, handcuffed, like all that shit. He's like, obviously something's fucking going on. Right. When the Anchorage PD got to the Mush Inn, they were told that she was taking a cab over to Big Timber Motel. So when they got there, they were at room 110 and they found Cindy and she was still handcuffed because, of course, she can't get out and she was all by herself. So they, you know, they tried to calm her down, get her out of the handcuffs, all that stuff. So they could be like, what the fuck happened? And this is when she told her story and described Hanson to her and described all these details like of the house because like so basically where the assault and everything happened, he had like a den in the basement. And there was like a um, bearskin rug. There was like game mounts mm. on the walls of like caribou and it's his game room. Yeah, because he was a hunter. So he had all that crap. And of course, you know, they like they figured out the plates. They called him like they found out who he was. And they actually showed up to his house right before he did. And when he pulled in, you know, they were like, we need to question you, blah, 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 blah. So they brought him in. And of course, he's just being like, no, what the fuck? You know, being like, Mm -hmm. tried to turn it into something like, oh, she wanted more money. And then we argued or whatever, you know, because what's crazy is it's like, 
sure, I'll go ahead and admit I was with a prostitute, whatever. Like, mm-hmm. different time, different time. I mean, it was it technically, like, and it was illegal, but federally. Mm-hmm. But like I said earlier, Alaska just didn't get the memo. <laughs> and then they were like, no, 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 wait, like, you can't do that anymore. Right. So he just, he stayed really calm and he had this bullshit alibi from this dude who was like super well known being like, oh yeah, he was at my house like all night long and we had pizza and we talked planes and blah, blah, blah and all that bullshit. And then he was like, yeah. And then at this time I went to the airport to install the seat I was fixing at his house. Oh. Yeah. So they were like, oh, okay. So they believed him and they were like whatever because you know she's a prostitute so fuck her whatever you know Aw, she's just a little baby okay well she lied about her age she said she was 23 instead of 17 but still but still she a little baby who doesn't know the war the ways of the world Mm, she does but not in a good way like i said she's a prostitute from like 12 on (gasps) yeah i'm just gonna go cry in a corner now bye see you guys later (laughs) yeah because well because it's crazy in this time so she uh she ran away she was from like the continental u.s i can't it's like mm-hmm. indiana or you know some random state so at this time the prostitute ring up here was it was like they would hit alaska hawaii seattle portland and then i want to say like san francisco or something so you know it was like a ring of places for them and okay you know especially with all this work and all these like like you know the oil rig workers and the pipeline workers and stuff even if they weren't prostituting up here they would come up here to get jobs at like you know strip clubs and stuff easy money you know mhm it makes sense but that's not what's going to piss you off here's what's going to piss you off okay he raped her right he did not wear a condom so they found when they did her rape kit they found dna inside of her that was his mm. she was actually on her period and she had a tampon in and she had said I left it in because I knew that his semen would be on that. So that would be my only chance to prove this motherfucker did it. Oh, shit. So there's some fucking evidence there. But I know the argument is kind of like, well, she's a prostitute. All that really can show is they had sex. Can we actually just take a moment to realize how painful that would have been? Right? I don't want to think about that. Mm -hmm. Moment over. That's all I could think about after you said it. So when they first brought him in, they supposedly couldn't find anything in the databases of his history, even though some of his convictions were there in Anchorage. But it was like perfect timing for this to happen because like they were just then converting all of the files and stuff from like paper and stuff to their computers. So obviously everything wasn't probably done. So huge flaw. Makes sense. So now APD has been shits and kind of pulled like a Ted Bundy thing and let him go. Hmm. The way he kind of gets brought back up is there's a detective with the Alaska State Troopers. His name was Glenn Floth. And they were investigating this certain thing because there was like a ton of bodies within a short amount of time found around Anchorage, Seward, and then the whole like Matanuska Valley. So like this whole area, like within a certain amount of miles, just like dead bodies, dead bodies. And it wasn't even just like... Got it. Yeah. Which, you know, there's like, there was tons, like it wasn't too weird, I guess, because, you know, if people went hiking and stuff, they didn't take the right equipment with, you know, certain weather, they could just die. Right. It's it's very treacherous there. You shouldn't like what's that book? The um that's stupid and I say this uh, <laughs> it's it's a trigger for me. That kid who basically like went off into the Alaskan wilderness 
and then like froze mm. to death because he wasn't prepared to be in the lab. He took like a 22. Mm. It's literally a trigger for me. I had to read the book yeah. for a college thing and my logical brain is just like, mm. I grew up going camping and I grew up going out like with my dad uh-huh. on trails on our horses and knowing that like you had to bring extra supplies in case something happened to you. So for me, it's like anytime someone like goes out unprepared, I'm like, it's a trigger because it's like you should have some knowledge of what you're doing before you go do it. Right. Exactly. Like crazy. But the reason why they started looking into these disappearances and when they'd find bodies and stuff, there was a Jane Doe who was like dubbed Eklutna Annie. They never figured out who she was. They found, like, her body, you know, out there. Mm. And later that year, they found the body of Joanna Messina. She was found near a gravel pit in Seward. And then in 1982, the remains of 23-year-old Sherry Morrow were discovered in a really shallow grave. And I believe the people who found her were actually, um, were, like, two off-duty cops who were, like, out hunting and stuff. Now, they had three bodies and... They all had similarities, Uh. like where their wounds were. They were like in their back, in the back of their head. I don't know if all the bodies, I know at least one, like it looked like the person was trying to cut their head off. And then they all had the same, uh, it was like a 223 or something like that. They all had the same casing. So, of course, that's like, Uh. this may be a pattern. So the detective went ahead and contacted an FBI agent. His name was Roy Hazelwood, and he was down in D.C. He asked for if he could just get some help with like a criminal psych profile based on the three bodies. So Hazelwood said that the killer would be an experienced hunter with low self-esteem, have a history of being rejected by women, and would feel compelled to keep souvenirs of his victims, such as jewelry or, you know, little mementos, things like that, that were on the person. That makes sense. He also suggested that they might have a stutter. And so, of course, (laughs) who does this fucking sound like to you? This sounds like Robert. He had every fucking thing and he had a fucking plane. Mm -hmm. So they also, um, you know, made sure to do forensic on like the casings and all that to be like, is this from the same gun? Like, yes, it's the same type of gun, but are these shot from the exact same gun? And then that was confirmed. Yes. You know, all this crap's going on and he's finding out all this crap. And it's it's funny. So there was a movie made in I don't know what year it was. I want to say around like 2013 about this. It's called Frozen Ground. It's actually a really good movie. And I did all my research, then watched it because my original plan was to be like, how did they bullshit? Like, what's the differences? And they were actually pretty spot on with most of the stuff, to be honest with you. So I was surprised because it was like a legit movie, you know? I was Googling Frozen Ground and it kept saying turkey. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> Kidding. Now, the the person playing Floth is actually Nick Cage. And I know a lot of people have feelings about him. Mm-hmm. But for Nicolas Cage, he actually did extremely well. So I don't know what the fuck happened with that. But he did really well in this movie. Nicolas Cage isn't a bad actor. He's just annoying as fuck. Yeah. No, he was definitely not annoying in this movie. Like, he toned down his Nicolas Cage-ness. <laughs> Vanessa Hudgens is in it? Yes, she plays oh. Cindy. She plays Cindy. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <gasps> this has a great lineup. Yes, it was a really good movie. Mm. Like, I literally watched watch it. it. I literally watched it last night because Matt wanted to watch it with me because he loves these kind of movies. So, you know. All right. So, yeah. Basically. John Cusack? What? He plays Robert. That's good stuff. Mm-hmm. Yes. So, you guys. 
I rented it from Amazon Prime, but I'm sure if you're more motivated in the interwebs, you probably found it on like YouTube or something. But it was like three bucks. So I was like, eh, why not? It was a really good movie. It was really good. So let's see here. Back to the story. Okay. So basically with Cindy's testimony and then that profile, like I just keep wanting to call him Nick Cage like this whole time. (laughs) Floth and the APD, they got a search warrant of his plane, his house and his cars. So on October 27th of 1983, they actually found some of the jewelry of the missing women. I don't know if this is just this was in the movie or if this is like legit. But one of the in the movie, one of the victim's sisters, they had like matching bracelets and he had met her to talk to her about it. And this was before she he knew like Robert was connected to her. And she was like, no, like I want you to keep this. Because I want you to have something to have physically in your mind so Mm -hmm. you know she's a real person and you need to find her body for me. Like, she accepted she was dead because it was another prostitute. That was kind of his MO. He, all of his victims were either exotic dancers or prostitutes. Mm, Okay. So when they, what they did, they did find some stuff in the house. Like I said, they found the jewelry. Uh, They found a bunch of firearms, which... You know, not surprising. And at first it was just like, you know, the ones that were out and stuff. But later on, they actually found like a secret little like hideaway part in his attic. And that's actually where they found the murder weapon to be like, ding, ding, ding. Oh. Mm-hmm. And even creepier, they found an aviation map with little X's marked on it. And this was behind mm-hmm. his headboard. I'm sure you can guess what the fuck that was for. Mm. He mapped out exactly where for everybody. I don't like it. No. And... When he was confronted with the evidence and all of that, he just pretty much kept trying to be like, nope, nope, nope. And then when he finally snapped, he was just like trying to use the women to be like, to justify what he did. To be like, you know, it's not my fucking fault, blah, blah, blah. If, you know, we didn't have to control women this way, like, blah, 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 all that crap. And it's like, "Mm, Mm -hmm. you literally hunted them like they were animals. You would rape them and hurt them and then fly them out to the middle of nowhere and then let them run and then shoot them and then fucking kill them. No, it doesn't work that way. I'm sorry. I don't like him. No, I fucking don't either. Eventually, he did confess. So I kind of helped move things along. And he admitted to a spree of attacks and such beginning in 1971. His earlier victims were just young women. They weren't sex workers or anything. And they were ages between 16 and 19. Got it. And like I said, the rest were either prostitutes, strippers, stuff like that. Once he was arrested, he was charged with assault, kidnapping, multiple weapon offenses, theft, and insurance fraud. Because that's how he got his money for his plane and stuff like that. Like, he did insurance claims and all that crap. And also, it was said, like, some of the, uh, like, the game mounds he had, like, some of the, you know, like, the animal heads and stuff, he stole them. (laughs) Like, they weren't even his. Some of them he stole. What? Yeah, I don't, you know. And then on top of that, so not only did he sell them, but the insurance fraud was that he made claims that some of his stuff had been stolen, like some of the heads had been stolen out of his home. So then, you know, they paid out. They're like, oh, shit, this costs like $500. Here you go. Whatever. But that's how we got the money, like I said, for the plane. I mean, you shouldn't like defraud people. But I mean, on a scale of one to murder, like, meh. Like when you li- when you look at his other things, you're like, eh, so you defrauded an insurance company that like, you know, fucks people over anyway. <laughs> no, you fucking hunted people. Exactly. Well, here's the funny thing, too. And then like, obviously, this was brought up in court, too. He said that he later found them in his backyard, but forgot to tell the insurance people. <laughs> 
like, um. <laughs> so he's stupid. Yeah, he came up with some bullshit lie. So. Okay. Mm, also, like I said, they did make sure to do like a ballistics test and all that on the like the casings and stuff they found to like, you know, have hard evidence. Yes, these are from his guns, all of that stuff. Right. And then after this, they basically gave him a plea bargain. He pled guilty to the four homicides that the police were actually involved with. So Mauro, Messina, Goulding, and the Eklutna Annie. So those four is what he got charged with for murder. And he went ahead and he was cooperative. He gave details about his other victims. And then basically in return, he was given his sentence to a federal prison with no publicity to the press so like you know he didn't have to worry about like extra reporters because there's like i'm sure this was already going nuts and everything and another condition was his participation in deciphering the markings on his like on the map that they found so they could find as many of his victims bodies as possible and he basically confirmed to them like yes that's how i abducted them you know i'd pick them up i'd take them and then i'd take them out to this place on my plane and he said sometimes he'd let a potential victim go if she convinced him that she wouldn't go to the cops. Like, if he had that gut feeling like, no, she's not going to tell, he would let them go. So who knows how many women he's done this to, you know what I mean? He said that he did not start killing until the early 70s, which is like, the other things you do is terrible too. So whatever, I don't give a shit. So he ended up showing the investigators 17 grave sites. And this was all around South Central Alaska. So 12 of them were unknown to the investigators. There were a couple markings on his map that he just, I guess, I don't know, got a wild hair up his ass at that point. It was just like he didn't want to tell them the info on it. And there was three in Resurrection Bay, which is near Seward, which is kind of creepy because that's near where we went to the cabin. And they thought that two of these markings uh, belonged to the graves of Mary Phil and Megan Emmerich, who Hansen denied killing. The remaining 12 of possibly 21 victims were exhumed by the police and then they were returned to their families. So, I mean, at least they got that closure. So that's good. And Hansen, he was sentenced by a jury to 461 years plus life in prison without the possibility of parole. Good for them. Yes. And he was first imprisoned at the United States Penitentiary, Lewisburg, and that's in Pennsylvania. Wow, they took him far the fuck away. Yes. But then in 1988, he was returned to Alaska and briefly was at Lemon Creek Correctional Center in Juneau. He was also imprisoned at Spring Creek Correctional Center in Seward until May of 2014. After that, he was transported to the Anchorage Correctional Complex for health reasons. And at this point, it was 2014. He was 75 years old and he had died of lingering health conditions at Alaska Regional Hospital. So... Like your serial killer, just kind of died of old age. That's insane. Yes. So that is the Butcher Baker of Anchorage, Alaska. So that's going to wrap us up here today on our episode. And before we sign off, I'm going to hand it off to Jessica to tell you guys a little bit about the cookbook you're going to win. And then I'll finish us off and let you know how to enter to win it. So Dorothea Puente, she's a cookbook, which is extremely exciting that a serial killer wrote a cookbook because let's be honest, that's that's fascinating. Right. So we found it. It's on Amazon. And so we are going to do a giveaway with it. And if you are someone who is interested in owning that cookbook, here's how you do it. So what you're going to have to do 
whichever of your social media platform of choice on our episode announcement discussion thread. Just go ahead and comment either your favorite celebrity, which I know she's a serial killer, so she ain't a celebrity, but celebrity chef. We'll go with that because uh, I don't know too many other serial killers who are actually have a cookbook. <laughs> no, she's like a celebrity in Sacramento. So that's, you know. <laughs> yeah, so that's how that happened. Or if that's a little too like, eh, but you'd still like to enter, um, you can just comment your favorite meal, your favorite food out of a cookbook you do enjoy. Yeah. And we'll go ahead and count that. That can be Instagram, Twitter, and the group. We will keep track of all three of those posts, and we'll let that run for a week, and then we will announce the winner on our social medias the following Monday, so a week from today. Yes. Yes. So if you are on the replay, I'm so sorry you missed out, but this is June 3rd, and this giveaway will end on um, Sunday evening, June 9th, and we'll announce it June 10th. Yes. Which is exciting. I'm so, I'm excited for you guys, one of you guys to win this cookbook. Hell yes. But yeah, that's really all we had for today. So we want to thank you guys so much for tuning in. And we will catch you in our bonus episode coming at you on Thursday. Yeah. All right. Bye, guys. Bye. Or abducted by aliens and then they could be alien. Alien face. Alien. An alien selfie. Be extraterrestrial. To me, that screams aliens. And it had an alien head on alien eyes. Be aliens. They're here, bitch. Do you think yeah. the aliens heard about Brexit? <laughs> do you think that's going to affect where they do their crop circles? <laughs> I, I think so. Scary Talk. Join Andre and Shannon for our conversation on all things paranormal every Monday. Find Scary Talk on all podcast listening platforms.